לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כה רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, מה אישים? קיץ באוויר. רדיו כה רמה, מאה ושתיים Good Shabbos, everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we start into this amazing Parsha Titzavet, I want to just give a shout out to two things, two things that have become really important during the pandemic. Uh, one, which just completed a milestone that our viewers and listeners should learn about, is 929.org.il. If you want to study a chapter of the Bible, the Tanakh, every day, Go to 929.org.il, lots of resources in English and in Hebrew, and you can study the entire Bible day by day. Today was chapter 5 of the book of Genesis. Okay, we, they just did a completion of the Tanakh. Big shout out to 929, and it's a, it was a great, great celebration. Um, it's a very exciting thing. For those people who don't want to do the daily duff, which is can be really... <laughs> mind-bending. Uh, the chapter of Tanakh a day, I think, is the way to go. That's number one. Number two is we want to uh, just give a big shout out to Sepharia, Sepharia, S-E-F-A-R-I-A dot O-R-G, uh, which is the entire storehouse of classic Jewish literature online. You can get every single text ever written and look at it, read it, go to, you know, commentaries and all the things associated with it, Sepharia, uh, and uh, it has become the indispensable. I would say, and, and I don't know if you want to just talk about it for a second, it's a game changer. It's been a game changer in terms of the way that we present and talk about texts. Um, no doubt it's, it's, uh, it's revolutionized the way that we teach. Barry. So what I would say, it's not only a game changer, it's a game changer that keeps changing its game. Yeah. Meaning that it has grown in leaps and bounds from what it was. Not only do they have so much text, they have a lot of translations, and people create worksheets, and they're also part of Safaria as well. Right. And it is a, a task, I think, for Jewish education to figure out how to integrate it, because so many kids, that's where they first go. You tell them to look something up, and they go to Safaria. You know, books, as we know them, libraries, can't get into the seminary library yet, are something of the past. Most kids today utilize the the virtual library, the, the computer. I'll tell you something, you know, I, I mean, even even in, in my life, uh, you know, preparing classes and preparing sermons, 
I can remember, you know, putting stacks and stacks of books on my desk, looking at through conferences, and there's a certain joy in that. And let's not, you know, underestimate the joy of holding a book and looking at an underlining, etc. But uh, now, I mean, come on, I have, you know, uh, an exponential amount of resources uh, just to click through. And, and it's made, it's made teaching just uh, a different kind of joy, I think. It's, Jeremy, it's, to it's totally, totally phenomenal. I'll just throw out um, another name. Uh, there's a website called Alhatorah, A-L-H-A-T-O-R-A-H dot, uh, is it com or org? It's dot org. And uh, I don't know that it's got great English resources for anybody who might be looking for that, but uh, it's got tremendous Hebrew resources. I have my Barilan disc on my computer. And then there's a website, which is, you know, all praise to Chabad for this, called Hebrewbooks.org. Hebrewbooks.org. These books are, you know, when, when books are out of print, and some cases still in print, when they shouldn't be doing, but, uh, you know, you, you want to look up the, you, you see some reference to some book, and you go to it, and you will get a PDF of the, you know, the 1814 you know, uh, Krakow edition or something like that. You, you can't always see them so well because the the images are are uh, you know not so clear sometimes. But it's like phenomenal if you if you want to just pick up almost any book in in the vast 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 majority of you know the the Torah bookshelf uh, of the last several centuries. They're all out there and they're downloadable and uh, it's totally amazing. So you know, it's a good segue to our parsha because. The Parsha actually is a is filled with visual and tactile information that we cannot see and we cannot touch. Uh, starting out, let you know, with the menorah or with lighting the menorah, you have to to light the menorah with with shemen zayit zach, okay, the pure olive oil. But then then we go into the whole discussion of big dekodesh laron achicha. You you shall make. The clothing, the holy clothing for your brother Aaron, Lichavoto Latifar, such a, an amazing expression to honor and beautify. And, and you know, in, in, in contemporary Israel, that's the, the formula for, for the um, honoring the people with the lighting of the torches. Lichavod, you know, Ulitiferet Midinat Israel, to honor and to beautify and to glorify. And so the purpose of, of the clothing was, was really to take this individual and the whole cohort of Kohanim. And to set them apart and to give them the kind of comportment and uh, uh, the, the um, bespoke outfits that, that would make them both beautiful and honored and give honor to their profession and to what they were doing. And the, the, the Parsha is, is quite um, luscious in its description, all the names of the things. But let's take a second to, to focus on... The Urim with Tumim. If we had the pictures, we could we could throw them up on the on the on uh, in, in the video here. But but you're gonna have to read it and look up the pictures yourselves. Here are the Urim with Tumim, and, and maybe just the sounds of the words. Uh, they are actually quite luscious sounding. The the different kinds of of gems. Here it says Umileta bo miluat even arba'a turim avem. You will da 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 put stones four rows of stone tur you will, oh, you will, go like this, go like this. You go will fill up the you you will fill up the you will fill up the filling spaces with 
stones, four rows of stones. The way the Bible loves to repeat these is almost like musical notes. Yes. You'll, you'll fill the filling with stones of the stones. The Odem Pitau Vareket, whatever the stones are. Is it Vareket or Barekas? <laughs> it's it's Barekas. Mushroom. All right. This elegant style. I mean, where do they get these things? Who knows? But but this Urim Tumim is, is, I mean, that's the spectacular symbol of the of the Kohen Gadol. Barry. So there are two things that we should add here. First of all, uh, one of the great rabbis of all time, Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Asher, was the author of one of the great codes of Jewish law, the Arba Aturim, which he took from our Parsha. And what's interesting for us, I think, is that the breastplate was one of the great religious symbols of Temple Judaism. It was a way that the priest could um, discover oracles from God. And for us, that has been transmuted into halakha, that what our ancestors looked to the priests for, we look to books or virtual books, as we were discussing earlier, of Jewish law in order to navigate our life. The other thing, which is somewhat related to this, is that so much of what we've been discussing the last couple of weeks with the tabernacle and the building and the clothes and the furniture was not really seen by too many people. That, you know, the garments of the high priest might only be seen by another priest. Yeah. You know, the Mizbeach HaKetorah, which is in the Kodesh, the antechamber, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, could only be seen by a priest who went into it. It was never accessible to Amcha, to the Israelites. And it reminds me, number one, of the medieval cathedrals, where so much of what was built was seen only by the artisan. And mm. then no one ever saw it again. And it's an interesting insight into life. And, you know, we spend our time thirsting for knowledge. And it does us well to remember that part of our search has to be respectful of what we can never know and we can never see. So, so in, a, in a sense, then the, the, the Kohen Gadol is functioning as a, an ambassador. I, you know, last week we talked about the narrative of the structure and and so you know here there's a narrative in the clothing and what you're saying and I think it's a, it's a great point to highlight which is that it's a really intimate narrative that that if if the Kohen Gadol with all his vestments is really not seen beyond a certain zone right he's got to he's got to change clothing uh, you know several times Yom Kippur he changes clothing all the time but he can't you can't go out of the holy area wearing the Urim Tumim I'm I'm assuming right. You, you don't walk around the streets of Jerusalem wearing the Urim Tumim, but you do walk around inside the holy area with the Urim Tumim, and that's an intimate uh, kind of connection. So if the Kohen Gadol is God's ambassador to the people, the Kohen Gadol is also Israel's ambassador to God, and that's and that's playing itself out in the clothing as well. And and it's playing itself out specifically on the chest of the, over the heart of the, Kohen Gadol. He wears this over the heart. And, and it's just, it's remarkable the way that the text describes this because it says he places, you know, the, the Urim Tumim are the, these gems that are placed like in an envelope of, of, of cloth. And the, the text is very similar. You know, in Venatata, you place the Luchot in the box, you place 
the Urim Tumim in the envelope, and so you have a symmetry. The the covenant is in the 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 sacred receptacle of the uh, of of the people, and the people is in the is the closest it can get to the sacred receptacle of the of the holiest representative of the people. You know, if you could actually you know open it up and insert them in there, that's what you do. You can't, obviously. He wears it on his on his heart. I think the key word that you used earlier is loving, right? There's a lot of loving detail here, and it highlights for us that unlike the other classical leaders of biblical Israel, the king and the prophet, the priest is the leader of love. The prophet and the king are associated with a certain harshness, shall we say, and even though there's a wonderful discussion about how the prophets love Israel, I think most of us would consider their kind of love to be tough love. <laughs> um, but the priest in our Parsha and last week and moving forward is described in very loving terms because he represents the God of love. Right. If the priest does everything correctly, the way he has been trained to do, it benefits not only him and all of Israel, but God as well. Right. I have a, um, I have uh, a, an, a, a, I agree with everything you guys have said, and I have one other le- level of poetic resonance about this, and it's a, um, it's a, uh, it's, it's from a different part of the Tanakh altogether, and it's, it's, you know, in a sense, not a very nice. Uh, we may have talked about this last year because uh, when I first learned this, I was blown away by, it, and I repeat it every year in some form or another. Um, in Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight, there is a, there's a kind of a, an oracle to the king of Tyre, and it's a fallen angel kind of oracle. Uh, you were so beautiful. You were so perfect. You lived in the Garden of Eden, but you 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 were thoroughly wise. You were just the apotheosis of humanity, and then you grew prideful and you fell. And so you know, so it seems like a fallen angel or a fallen Adam kind of story. But let me scroll ahead to Ezekiel twenty-eight. Listen to this. Um, Oh, you you were wiser than Daniel, not Daniel of the Bible, the sort of mythic mythic wise figure. Um, you no no one can compare to you. Your great shrewdness in trade. You are the w- most wealthy. You are everything. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and flawless in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of God, and every precious stone was your adornment. There you go. Tarshish Shoham Viashpe. Sapir Nofak Ubareket. So the this fallen angel, this apotheosis of what a person could be, is wearing almost the exact same clothing that the high priest was wearing. And it doesn't actually say adornment. Um, it says, um, well, it says was your covering, misuchatecha. Um, so I think that what is being described here as in a story by Nachman of Breslov, is a, is a figure whose body is actually all gemstones. And I think the high priest, and, and that, you know, in this mythic story of Ezekiel, that, that guy goes down. The high priest, however, in contrast to that, he has that body of human perfection. So I think that one of the ways in which this functions is that, like, who is the high priest? The high priest is just the, the, the apex of human perfection. Sure, sure. You know what I was thinking, you know, and I, I was trying to make the connection a little a little stronger, but I didn't have enough 
evidence the the garden of eden here and that and the only the, there is the one can i show him right is is mentioned in the in, mm -hmm. in in the eden story yeah um it's not hard to imagine that in eden you know in the in the in the imaginary place that it's filled with uh, beautiful things um and that part of what the Kohen Gadol is doing is is he's a portable um I want to say a portable Eden also, and I want to just go, you know, no, nobody knows what the uh, equivalents are of both the name, the species of the stones and their meanings. You know, anybody who tells you uh, is is really, you know, not, is talking nonsense. Um, so the, on the one hand, that's great because we can all invent meaning to this and, and it shows that it's it's just possible to add layers and layers, which which I'm going to do presently, which is, <laughs> to say that, that minerals and gems are are symbols of of earth in a in a very very unique way because minerals uh, demonstrate the way that the earth itself co-evolves with life and that's uh, in science and in, that follow the science here the geology of earth is that mineral species evolve they co-evolve with life. And so what the what the high priest in fact is wearing is not only symbols of of the people you know certainly directly is representing the people to God, but he's also representing something of like the universe and something also of gardening uh, Gan Eden, and something that's beyond comprehension, and 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 that's what a symbol has to do. Barry, you came forward. I don't know. Yeah. So I think the way that you put it is very is very nice and, and very attractive because when we think of the story of the Garden of Eden, we sometimes forget that that is the entire world at that moment. Indeed. There is nothing outside of the Garden of Eden. And as I, what struck me when I was uh, going through the Parsha before, before we uh, started talking is that the Mishkan represents the cosmos. It is the ordered world, just like the creation story as whether it's the creation story of chapter one, the familiar six days plus Shabbat at the beginning of chapter two, or the extended creation story, which begins with the creation of Adam and will carry through um, with the events that unfold in the next few chapters of Breshit. And then it leaves us with this interesting image of the priest who I think with wearing the breastplate is carrying the people Israel. Yeah, He is uh, the shepherd, as it were. He's kind of a Moses figure. We don't often think of the priest as Moses. We identify him with Aaron. But he also here has a kind of divine image as well because he is carrying the people like God carried the people on the wings of on the wings of eagles. And it gives us, I think, a certain insight into the way the Mishkan was supposed to function. It was supposed to create order for the people and lives, as we know from reading the rest of the Bible, was often quite chaotic. You wonder, you know, where they got their rest and their sense of peace in their daily lives. And one place where that could happen would be in the Mishkan or later in the temple. That is, that is what you just said is, you know, at, at every level of, of human experience in, you know, 2022 or, or you know, 2022 BCE, to be a religious person is to sense that even though life is really complicated, disordered, painful, that there's that there's death and sickness, and to feel that there is a, an order that is beautiful and good, 
and holding those two, holding those two things, um, you know, in your spirit and in your mind, that that is what it is to be a religious person. And you know, at different times in history, there, you know, the, the the specific ways people negotiated that change and the specific things that troubled them or the specific things that reassured them were were different than than they might be today. But I think that the Mishkan is exactly what you said. And I think religious ritual is exactly what you said, that there is a way that Israel and God meet in covenant in this, in this physical structure that reaffirms that despite all of, the, all of the chaos out there, it is possible to create a zone of ritual purity and of intellectual purity and goodness and beauty. Okay, Very so, well said. So, so let's jump then to, the, to, to that part of the Parsha that gives us really that punchline, and that that is chapter twenty nine, verse forty three, where where it does talk about after you know describing what some of the inauguration ceremonies are going to be for the Mishkan. It really gives you uh, a statement of this mission. shama Yisrael, I will meet you. I will I will be met there to Bnei Yisrael. Vinikdash bichvodi. And uh, translate it will be, uh, and and th- there will be sanctification in my presence. V'kidashti et olmo ed adamizbech. I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. V'taron v'tpanava kadesh lechaheni. And I will set them aside to be my kohanim. And then v'shachanti b'toch bnei Yisrael va'yiti lahem lelohim. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they will know that I am their God. Who took them out of Egypt to have my presence dwell among them. That, if that's not the punchline, if that's not the theme of this, I don't know what is. And and you know, part of this is you know, let's follow the ark here. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. God promises that they're going to be you know have this experience. God delivers on the promise and releases them from bondage. God brings them to the Mount Mount Sinai to reveal God's will. It, I mean, I don't want to say Dayenu, but it would have been enough. But that's not the point. The point is Barry. The point's the point of the whole exodus. What's the point of the whole story? I think there's two points, I think. One point is that we get the sense of a transactional God that God is creating a transaction with the people because God needs us as much as we need him. That God has been in search to use um, Heschel's famous phrase, God in search of man. God is looking for someone to be his partner. And he came across the Israelites or the Hebrews before that with Abraham and now us, his their descendants. And every step of the way, is an opportunity for us to connect with God. Um, see, there's, sorry, I was going to say, it's God saying, like cheap trick. I want you to want me. I, want, <laughs> 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 I need you to need me. Well, I don't think we want to. I put that the in the sermon. I think it's cheap sermon. trick. Okay, never mind. Okay, go ahead. Sorry to to be levity. No, so so. But you're, well, the other thing I want to say, though, is that this also provides us with another conclusion, right? The Exodus sets something in motion. Sometimes we look at it as an end in itself. 
we were slaves in Egypt and suddenly we are free. Sometimes we look to the revelation at Mount Sinai as the rabbis did using Shavuot as the bookend to the Pesach story. The revel we celebrate the revelation at Sinai after 50 days after the Exodus. But here, God becomes our God when we build the Mishkan at his direction. Right. And we uh, often lose sight of that fact that we, the key totally here is that, that the Mishkan is what is required for God to dwell amongst us. We totally the question lose for us because it's destroyed. living in the post-temple world is where is our Mishkan? Exactly. And so it's interesting, you know, when you as you're speaking, it's just so abundantly clear. We we are so immersed in the story of the Exodus through Pesach. We celebrate that on an annual basis. We don't celebrate the Mishkan on an annual basis. We don't. I mean, the 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 best we do is read these parshiot. You know, five of them basically: two describing how to make it, two describing how it's made, and one the crisis in between. And 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 we can't get. We can't wait to get through them. That's how. Right, it's and there's a wonderful irony here. Yeah. Because the date of the revelation is not given in the Torah. Exactly. The rabbis created, but the date of the Mishkan being erected is given in the Torah. And I don't remember it offhand, and I venture to say most of us. Is Rosh Chodesh Nisan the one you're on? Yeah, so 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 it's like Happy Anniversary Mishkan Day, Happy Mishkan yeah. National Mishkan. Yeah. You know, <laughs> day. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right, and and I think that the um, we were talking before we started recording that Nachmanides' view is exactly what you just said. That the whole point that they're still they're still actually in exile until they can reach the level of intimacy with God that, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had, which happens at the Mishkan. He thinks the whole point, he very vociferously objects to Rashi's view, which was widely held by lots of people, that the Mishkan came after the golden calf, that the Mishkan was like the, the, the tikkun for the, for the uh, idolatry of the golden calf. He says, no, 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 this was the whole point, because the whole point is to create this space. Now, I wonder, um, you know, we're... Uh, you know, we're, we're schooled in the, in the contemporary, you know, academic study of Judaism. We know that the Bible is a composite book and, and this is a, this is a priestly kind of story with the detail oriented and the whole focus on the place of worship. And of course we know that 2000 years ago, uh, the Jewish people's central shrine got destroyed. And since then we had to do something else. And, um, and we have been traveling around the world in exile. And especially those of us who live in America where the story of, of, of actual enslavement and the liberation of those, those people who were enslaved is so, 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 so big. You know, it makes kind of sense that if, you, if you're an American and you think about the story of African slavery, and if you're a Jew and you've been thinking about all the pogroms and all of the expulsions and the Nazis and da 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 then you think that like leaving Egypt is the most important thing. And of course it is a massive thing. But I think for our biblical ancestors, the creation of, the worship shrine was probably like really, really, really important, and the um, and the post churban, the post destruction uh, Judaism, wasn't really about that anymore. And it was about the things that you could hold on to, uh, especially the Torah itself and the traditions of learning. So, so it made you know like the meaning of the mitzvot, the meaning of reading of the book, the meaning of revelation. Those things are more important than the building of, of, a, of a shrine. So in a way, this brings us back to what you said at the beginning, Barry, which is that, that you know, and I think it's a very important idea that, that the, the Mishkan functions on a certain level as a private structure. It's a, 
it's you know the Kohen Gadol is God's personal servant, as it were, and and following the end of that, the collapse of all of that, then everybody gets. I mean, we have Kohanim today, and we of course have you know respected Kohanim uh, today, of course, and they 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 preserve that vestigial honor, but but everybody has access to Torah. There has been a you know the process of the destruction. And this was, you know, in a way, Gershon Cohen, Zal, right? He said, you know, the blessing. Cohen. Right. So he said, you know, that, that this, it gave rise to the democratization of, of Judaism. Everybody has access to it. It's not, it's not through the pedigree. It's not through your, 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 your class. Anybody can, can, can reach the Torah. Anybody can reach the Holy of Holies now. There, I have to say, there's a great Gershon Cohen story that he was talking once about the golden age of Spain, which most of us look at as one of the great highlights of Jewish history. And his comment was, yeah, it was about eight families. <laughs> <laughs> but they wrote so this we, book, so we still read them. <laughs> right. So we have a tendency to make of the past what we will. It doesn't always coincide with the reality of the time that we think we're talking about. But it always has to mean something to us. And I think, you know, what's striking for us is that the Torah, which we study today with such love and passion, is not quite the Torah that our ancestors received at Mount Sinai. And one sometimes wonders what they would make of what we have made of the Torah. Right. They said it's it's just a it's just a jam. It's just a rock. <laughs> what are you doing with this? You're making all sorts of fancy schmancy interpretations. Come on, you ever see a pearl? You ever see a? That's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so, but, 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 but I mean, this, that's everything because because our baseline commitment is there's nothing meaningless. Everything is meaningful. You just have to you just have to keep digging. In fact, look. I mean, we could talk about. You know, this is our, our second round through this. We're almost at two years of, of doing this. We started, I think, at this part show, didn't we not? Or, uh, close. It was uh, another month away. Another month away. So, so, you know, and, and still, you know, what's so joyful for us is that even even seeing it on the third, hundredth time, there, there, are new, there are new points. There are new things. There are new things to see. There are new sparkles from the diamond from the jewels of the urim v'tumim right it's it's and maybe that's the the metaphor here is that it's never gonna it's never gonna sparkle in the same way at the same time it's always gonna you know, be you know, a different my, hue my my uh friend and and congregant um nicholas lemon is you might know much of his journalism he writes in the new yorker and and other publications he had an essay come out recently. He grew up extremely, extremely, uh, you know, he was an identified Jew. He grew up in, in the reform community in New Orleans, but it was really quite alienated from, you know, traditional practice and, and, uh, and now has, you know, become more, much more oriented to traditional practice. And he said the, the, the main thing for him is um, the reverence with which communities like ours treat the Torah. From the ritual ways we stand up and kiss it and make fanfare of the uh, of the reading of it, but you know he says I live in these. He just wrote this essay, which I happened to read this week. Um, he says I just I, I live in you know the worlds of academia and journalism in which secularity is just the the uh, the norm and people just roll their eyes if if you're connected to a religious community. 
but what what moves him so much is the way the communities um, lavish attention on the Torah, read it ritually, read it with with ritual fanfare, and keep talking about it because they believe that there is something they can learn from it that they don't already know. Absolutely. So this leads us back to the breastplate. So yeah. we cannot have the sparkle of the breastplate that our ancestors had, but we can make the breastplate sparkle for us. Indeed. And that is what Torah is as well. Indeed, all the different different faces of the Torpanim, the more than Shivim Panim La Torah, the 70, 70 factorial, whatever, to the end degree yeah well you know i mean i think there's 70 faces to the torah or 49 faces to the torah whichever thing i think the the image actually is panim not like human faces but facets of a stone Absolutely. and here we are this is the partial of the of the uh, gemstones there you go well that's a great way to end our talk today and it was uh, a gem it was a gem <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank everyone for being with us for spending your time with us we are so so happy and thankful to you for doing that listening, watching, however you do it, when you're preparing for Shabbos or else, any other time. We thank you. Look forward to being with you again. And we want to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. See you again on the next edition of Parsha Talk.